The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning. Happy New Year to everybody. It is 2023, in case you're wondering. Some of you guys, your heads are still back in like the 20 teens, and that's okay. But uh, anyway, uh, new year, uh, all kinds of new things, and uh, we're jumping into a brand new series called Made to Crave. And uh, if you're looking for a spot in scripture, we're going to land. We're going to be in uh, John chapter 1. This is an intro today, so there's a bunch of different verses I'm going to refer to, but we'll start in John chapter 1 here in a few moments. So uh, like I said, we'll get to that. But what if I told you that your life can be meaningful and purposeful and intentional? What if I told you that some of the, there are real answers to some of the most crucial questions that you have? Or, or what if I told you that you can discover a design for your life that would fill the longing for something more? And the reason I bring it up is because one of my great concerns is that you and I are looking for something in this world that this world was never meant to provide. And it's, it's a common thing. It's not just an outside-of-church-world thing. This is a common thing really for all of us, this struggle within us. And we talk about the idea of purpose or talk about the idea of, of fulfillment or whatever. And, and we want sort of this adventure, this sense of, you know, being here for a reason. And people look for it in all kinds of ways. There's all kinds of sort of belief systems that try to fill these voids. And, and you might have heard of some of these. And this is not an exhaustive list, but um, you have people that, for whatever reason, their whole purpose in life is to seek pleasure. And, and really, the, the kind of the, the old school word for this would be hedonism. And, and it's this idea of we seek pleasure and we avoid pain. We seek pleasure at all costs and we avoid pain at all costs. And that's the epitome of life and that's kind of the pursuit and, and that's not the greatest thing. One connected to it is this idea, and there was a movie about it years ago and we say it in some of our founding documents as a nation, but the pursuit of happiness. And, and what we want is to be happy. It's similar to that idea of hedonism, but it's just the idea, I just need to be happy. And whatever it is that makes me happy is what I lean into and what I want and what my life needs to be about because, because that's kind of where I'm at. That's desperately what I want. Another idea is, you know what? Maybe you don't call it happiness or maybe it's not pleasure, but maybe what it is in the turmoil of our world and all that we see and feel and hear and go through, I just want peace. I just want to find this inner peace, and while everything around me might be swirling and issues might be challenging and, and, and stuff like that, what I want is peace. And, and Hinduism and Buddhism both are kind of this idea of a search for nirvana, a sense of, of, of kind of blank, but, blank outside but inner peace within, and if I could just find that, and people have been searching for it forever. Another one um, is this idea of stoicism. And maybe you've heard of this idea of stoics, but stoicism is this, this idea of search for knowledge. And if we could just attain enough knowledge and get things just right based on what we know, then it would fix all of our problems. And if we just lived based on, you know, gaining information, and once we have the right information in the right places, everything will work the way it needs to. And that's the pursuit that we really, really need. Again, connected to it um, is the, the idea of humanism. 
That, that what we see, taste, hear, touch, feel, all that stuff, uh, our, kind of our five senses, that's what exists. And that's what's real. And yeah, there, maybe there's some, something spiritual out there. We can never really know it. But if we can just nail these things down, if we can just you know, follow the pursuit of, of, of these things, then boy, we really could come together and solve the world's problems because it's just human, human problems, human society, human issues that we need to dive into. Materialism is another. And this is an exhaustive list, but that idea that if I just have the right things, if I just get the right relationships or own the right stuff or live in the right place or the circumstances of my life are just right, then everything's going to be cool, then everything's fine, then, then that's when life really comes together. And yet, for many of us in the room, you probably know where I'm going with this, but there's so much more than just these pursuits. And yet, these are some of the most common pursuits in the world that we live in. These are some of the things that we stumble over millennia after millennia of, 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 of humankind's existence. In one of my favorite books, uh, Mere Christianity, author C.S. Lewis says this, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And if you've ever read C.S. Lewis or you know the history of C.S. Lewis, he was a thinker, a theologian. He was somebody who was highly educated, but he didn't start out as a believer. C.S. Lewis started out kind of skeptical about spirituality, but in random conversations with certain people, the lights began to come on. And one of my favorite books, like I said, is Mere Christianity, but it's the processing of spirituality and belief and something higher, but drilling it down into the idea of God and the idea of Christ and what the crucifixion and what Jesus means to us and why it is valid. But I love how he says it. I'll read it again. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. And so let me, let me kind of bring us into, as we, like I said, we're in a series called Made to Crave. Let me talk about something the disciple John said. Like I said, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you, if you got a Bible with you, if you got a Bible app, that's great. We'll put it on the screen. But John was a disciple of Jesus. John walked with Jesus and saw him teach the crowds and perform miracles and agonize in the garden, praying, knowing he was about to be crucified, you know, watched his arrest, fled away just like the other disciples, and then at a distance watched him be crucified, saw him resurrected, was there on Pentecost Sunday as the church was established. Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and John and Peter in particular help establish the church. This John wrote the gospel of John, and it opens up, and he says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who is John talking about? John's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the answer to the things that we need. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He goes on to say, through him all things were made. Nothing was made that has been made except through him. And then verse 4, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it or overcome it. Why do I bring this up after talking about other belief systems and what C.S. Lewis says? Because what John is trying to get to in this gospel, he writes, he's writing to people who don't yet know who Jesus is. And he's establishing a case for why the most important thing about the life that you and I live is defining who Jesus is. And he says, Jesus is the word. 
And he says, Jesus is the light. If you want an answer to the problems that plague our world, honestly, it is found in the message of the gospel of Jesus. That light has come. And if we lean into the purpose of that light, we will find that things work far differently than falling into humanistic answers to our problems. And so I want to remind us that John says this light has come into the world, the globe at a 35,000 foot level, all of mankind, and has come to shine light. But this light has come into our own community, into our own church, and it's meant to penetrate your heart and my heart. And yet verse 5 says this light pierces through the darkness, but the darkness doesn't always overcome it or doesn't always understand it. And that's a plague for you and for me and all of our society. Because there are times where you and I can read the word and go, there's nothing changing because I opened up this book today and read it. I don't quite understand it. Or in in our want for discernment, we open up and want to read the word, but but we don't process it the, the, the way that Maybe we should, or we get stuck in a genealogy. You ever, ever pray and kind of open the Bible? Okay, I'm just going to read somewhere, and I'm hoping God's going to speak to me. Anybody ever done that before? Yeah, there's some hands, and here you go. Okay, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to read today, but would you help me understand? You open up, and you got so-and-so beget so-and-so, and they beget so-and-so, and they begat so-and-so, and they're the son of so-and-so and the father of so-and-so, and you're like, what in the world? <laughs> or you crack it open, and if you get mid-Bible, anybody know where you end up? You end up like the book of Job. Some of you open up like, oh, good, it'll help me get a job. That's awesome. And so you're like, I'm going to read the book of Job. This is going to help me with my resume. Then you read it and go, this is going to help me lose my job. What is, what is this? It's about a guy who loses everything. That's a job? His name's Job. There you go. You just learned something new today. Write that down. Or you open it up and you end up somewhere mid-Bible where you get to like Song of Solomon. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're like, I don't know what he's saying. But if you do, you're like, oh, boy. You're like, baby, your nose is like a tower. Girl, you got legs, you got legs like cedar trees. Like, what? What kind of, what is this? Lord, what are you saying? Or, or you open it up to like Isaiah or Ezekiel or some of the prophetic books where like, I'm just going to take a sickle to all of mankind and you're judged and dash this on the rocks. You're like, what? what? God is angry all the time. And it can be really challenging to understand, right? The reason why I feel like it's so important to jump into this new year with a series called Made to Crave is because my hope and my prayer in this series is there's something that stirs in all of us, creates a craving to understand the word. Because one of the challenges when we talk about, and I say it a lot, man, I want to challenge you to be a reader of the word. I want you to create a daily habit of reading scripture. I want you to to, to open it and read it, and you, you, you hear that. And that sounds good in a setting like this, but you're like, yeah, but I do that and I don't get it. Or, or you, 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 because it's, anybody ever heard the phrase familiarity breeds contempt? You and I, if, if your house it might be like mine, like I got more Bibles in my house than I can count. My kids have kids' Bibles with like the cardboard pages and little pop-ups and little like, one verse on a page or whatever. And I got kids' Bibles and teen Bibles and adult Bibles and theology Bibles, all these are Bibles in my office. I don't know how many. And I've got the Bible app on my phone. And there's Bible everywhere. And because it's so available all the time, we take it for granted. And we don't pick it up and read it. Or when we read it, not only maybe we don't understand it, but we don't like what it says. Ooh, ouch. 
If you're a, a regular reader and studier of Scripture, it's really hard to live unforgiving. It's really hard to live bitter, given to anger. It's really hard to live in an addiction that doesn't bring a conviction that says, man, i got to step away and repent and deal with it. It's really hard to live not being generous, not walking out grace day after day, or at least being challenged to. And so when we talk about this whole picture, this idea of made to crave and reading and taking in scripture, it's unbelievably important because what it is is the light is shining. Psalms is, is kind of mid-Bible depending on where you open. But if you open up the Psalms and you ever looked at Psalm 119, it's the longest of all the Psalms. But what's kind of cool about Psalm 119 is it's kind of couplets. It's a couple of lines written, and it's, it's unique verse by verse, but every single one of them connects to this idea of a love for your commands, a passion for your truth, a desire for your statutes, a want for, for you. And, and so over and over, it's that reminder, but Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, John, the disciple, said that Jesus, the word, has come, and he's come as a light. And what does light do? Light takes care or expels darkness. Light reveals. Light is meant to do these things, but when the psalmist writes of this idea of light, how many of you could use some illumination on your path of life? And the answer is all of us. So the psalmist says your, light, your, your, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And in fact, the whole of that psalm, a couple of verses I memorized years ago, Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11. How can a young person, a young man, keep their way pure? By living according to your word. And then verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. And you think about those words. How can I walk out purity? How can I walk out a Christ-centered life? How can I walk out the purpose God has for me? The psalmist says, by navigating life according to what you have to say, according to your word. And then I have hidden it in my heart. In Matthew chapter four and in John chapter four, excuse me, Luke chapter four, both of those also gospels, Matthew four and Luke four, Jesus is tempted in the desert. Anybody ever read those stories? In both of those stories, three times, Jesus is tempted by the enemy. The enemy shows up to him and, and, and basically says, hey, if you bow down, if you do these things, then I will raise you in power. I will exalt you to the place you're called to be anyways. And it says Jesus was tempted. In other words, pulled in, felt compelled to do something that maybe he shouldn't do. And how does he respond every time? Everybody say, it is written. Come on, everybody say, it is written. The enemy comes and says, here, do this, and I'll exalt you. And Jesus says, no, 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 it is written. In other words, Jesus did what Psalm 119 verse 11 says. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And for you and I, what would it look like to have a daily habit of looking into Scripture, of allowing Scripture to read us and challenge us, and even putting it to memory? And there's even songs that are written that you can learn and it is sing that you're literally memorizing scripture that it's in your heart that when the enemy comes to you, 
When you feel a temptation to walk out something that God says, don't go that way. Don't be a part of that. Don't fall prey to those pitfalls in your life. You can discern that and know the scriptures that will rise you above falling prey to those things. I've hidden your word in my heart. And Jesus says, for it is written three times, facing every one of those temptations with victory because he knew the scriptures. The writer of Hebrews, and I love this verse, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. I would remind you of this. When the writer of Hebrews says that, he's reminding us. And by the way, we're going to talk about the history of the Bible, and some of us go, well, did it just appear as a book, and here's this thing. And No, no, no. There's some history. We're going to talk about how it came together and how we believe it is God's word. 66 books that were done. The canon's finished. We don't need to add to it. There's nothing else. But the writer of Hebrews says that scripture, unique to any other writings in the history of the world, he says, is living and active. He goes on to say it's sharper than a double-edged sword, and he uses some poetic language here, and then he, then he kind of lands the plane with something that I hope would challenge and compel us. He says the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing of joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. The basic, uh, to paraphrase that, that verse, it says this, the word of God gets to the core of what's going on inside of you. It's, it's alive in a different way than anything else. And I'm all about, I read C.S. Lewis. I read all kinds of other books and biographies and, and stuff that I learn from. But the word of God is different, the writer says. It's alive. It has a power different than any other to bring a conviction different than any other. And, and we've got to lean into it because how many of us need discernment in the world we live in? How do I handle this situation? What do I do with that social media account? How do I respond to my boss at work? How do I treat my neighbor? What does it mean to be a man in a marriage? What does it look like for me to live out being a father to my kids? Leaning into scripture and believing that there's answers there that God wants to reveal to us is key because for you and I to be in scripture is to be spending time with Jesus. And we need it. And it's easy in our world where it's so common to go, ah, it's the Bible. Yeah, it's that thing. And I get it. It's easy to excuse, well, I don't understand it, so I don't even know where to begin or what to do. But my hope would be throughout this series some of the light bulbs begin to come on. I know I've said this before, and at the risk of sounding redundant, I've said reading scripture is like trying to put together a 100,000-piece puzzle. If you've ever put together a 1,000, it's challenging. A 100,000-piece puzzle, but if you stick at it, stick with it, continue to endure through it, little by little, the pieces come together. God isn't just angry in the, in the prophets. There's something going on connected to the historical books. First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second, the history. And, and they relate to that. You go back to the Psalms. And again, the history of how those connect to what David was going through, who wrote a lot of them. The sons of Asaph, Abraham, uh, Moses, these that, that connect to their heart for God as they're learning about who he is. As you navigate through into the New Testament, and why we even call it an Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. What is that even about? We want to help you navigate, understand it, because little by little, as you stick with it, the pieces come together. It's like the big puzzle, as I've said, like, oh, that's the sky pieces. Those go over here. Oh, that's the barn. That's, that goes right over here. 
Here's the fence part. Those little pieces go all over. Here's the grass over. You know what I mean? You put together a puzzle little by little. Get the corners, get the edges, get the pieces in their shades, and then start putting them. It's, the Bible is like that. And if you stick with it, you begin to see this beautiful picture, honestly, that I'm excited about through this series because what I hope is it reveals to you is God's amazing love for you and I. God's incredible grace that's extended towards you and I through the work of Jesus Christ. The cornerstone of our faith and why that's such a big deal. And if you want peace, you're not going to find it in, in you know, Eastern mysticism and meditation. You're going to find it in leaning into who Jesus is, the Prince of Peace. You want hope, you want life, you want light. Every bit of the purpose that we have is found in Christ. And like I said, this world has been trying since the beginning of history to figure out how to live with a sense of purpose and peace and life, and, and we keep getting it wrong. And I'm telling you, these answers are found in the scriptures as we dive in and the hope that we have in Christ because it's God's story towards you and towards me. I was listening to um, Emily Hutchinson. If you might know who she is. She's been part of our church, and, and, and uh, she sent me a text the other day. said, hey, I gave you a little shout-out in a podcast. And so I listened to this podcast the other day. It was about 18 minutes, and it was really amazing because I've known them for a long time. I got to, to, to do her wedding, her mic, and I'm really proud of their journey, and you'll, you'll hear more down the road. So somebody goes, I don't know who that is. Anyway, um, Emily was sharing her story on this podcast, and at one point towards the end of the podcast, she mentions how for years as a follower of Jesus, she's always had this sense of the Holy Spirit guiding her and opening doors and doing certain things. But she began to lament to somebody that she loved dearly. She said, I just feel like I'm in a season where I don't know what God is doing, what God is saying. I, I just, I just, I've never been here, but I'm here. And the person that they were sh she was sharing this with said, are you, are you reading scripture like you need to be? She said, you know, I, I haven't been. And she said, she literally said, I began to dive into scripture and it's like the lights came on again. And I share that because for you and I, as we lie in bed at night and go, what is my life even about? Or what am I doing? Or what's my purpose? Or what's fulfilling? Or all that, that, that God does put these pieces together. But we've got to stand true to leaning into where we find those answers. She mentioned at the end of the podcast some of her anchor verses, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that reminder for her that that's where she was finding that sense of purpose and hope as the Holy Spirit was igniting in her that hunger, that craving for the scriptures. In fact, just yesterday in the reading plan, if you, if you subscribe to the chronological reading plan that we're doing, we've never done it before, so this is the first year we've done this plan, um, it's going to be a challenge. But just yesterday we were reading in Genesis, and then there's a couple of stories that I was reading through, and man, it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks yesterday talking about how God had asked Abraham to do something uh, with his son. He says, I want you to go and I want you to give up your son to me and sacrifice your son to me, which we will never be asked to do this. This is not something you should ever like, oh, maybe God. Um, so, no, but... Um, but in the context of what Abraham was going through, part of understanding the, the, the full measure of that story is this idea, are you willing to lay everything before me, Abraham, from God? And, and so Abraham does, and he's ready to do what he's called to do, and he's put the fire to get everything, and God says, stop. Now I know that you're willing, and I will bless you. But then he looks over and sees this ram caught in a thicket, and, and then he makes the sacrifice of the ram in place of the son he was asked to be willing to give up. And that's where we get the name Jehovah-Jireh. And some of you have heard that name before. That's in context where it comes from in Scripture. And the definition there is the Lord who provides. And I was reminded just yesterday, man, God, you're an amazing provider. But what you want from us is our willingness to say, God, 
I lay everything in my life before you. I don't want anything to take priority over who you are in my life. And that's what God was asking of Abraham at the core. As you continue on in the story, what you would read about is Abraham, his wife Sarah, passed away. And he has left his family and, and gone to an area that God says, I've promised you I'm giving you this land, and you're going to be numerous, these people, stuff, and you might have sung Father Abraham and kids' church, whatever. That's part of the story. But anyway, um, his wife, that was a bonus. Uh, his wife passes away, and he doesn't know what to do, so he goes to the city gate and says, I, I need a place to bury my wife, and I, I'm not sure. And so he basically, he buys a piece of land, and you and I read, and we breeze right past it. Okay, cool, he bought a piece of land. What the cool part, though, is God had said chapters before, years before, I promise you I'm giving you a land. And we hear the phrase sometimes now, the promised land. When Abraham purchased this small plot of land, it was the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise. And we just read it and go, cool, he bought some place to bury his wife. But that was the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise because, once again, God's promises can be trusted. And yesterday I was reminded of it. God, you're good, and you can be trusted. So just as you take on reading the word, that's just an example from yesterday as I was reading, going, wow, God, you are amazing. Why prioritize reading scripture? Well, for one, I would say if you want victory over temptation, you're going to find the strength by being a regular reader and studier of scripture. Why be a reader and studier of scripture? Because it does battle the lies in our mind, battles the lies of the enemy, and battles the lies of our culture. There are things in our world that run contrary to our faith in Christ. And yet, if we don't really take in Scripture, how do we ever discern right from wrong and truth from lies? And so it gives us a greater discernment than we would ever have attempting on our own to sort of figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's not. It also gives us, as I said before, this kind of 35,000-foot view of understanding our Father's heart. That I cannot... I don't oversell, undersell, over, I can't oversell God's love for you and me. And there's something amazing about taking on scripture that begins to reveal that picture to you and I. That we can, we can struggle in the moments of worry or dread or panic or anxiety or, or stress or anger, whatever else, and, and go, man, God, whatever. But when we take in scripture, what we see is something that runs contrary to our emotions. I've made the joke before, if you and I live by how we feel, I'm pretty sure every one of us would be guilty of murder at some point or another, right? Some anger, you know, again, there's all kinds of other things, but we don't live that way, but it's also why we've got to anchor ourselves to truth in Scripture. And then finally, it is time with Jesus when we read the Scriptures. When, when we learn to crave Scripture, or we learn to crave Scripture, excuse me, when we actually believe it's where we find purpose, clarity, fulfillment, and light in our lives. That for you and I, scrambling at times to go, what direction do I go? How do I handle this situation? What do I do with this anxiety? How do I overcome this addiction? How do I find victory in this circumstance? For you and I to believe the answers are in Scripture begins to stir up a craving for, how do I walk that out? Because I don't want to live bitter. I don't want to live addicted. I don't want to live angry. I don't want to be stuck in in an endless cycle of just existing, going through the motions, having apathy the rest of my life. There's something about anchoring ourselves to what God has designed in Scripture that wakes those things up. 
and coupled with the Holy Spirit infusing the work of the living word of God, transformation begins to take place. And there are story after story after story in this room, even those that are online, of what God has done in you because you anchored yourself to scripture, because you understood truth that maybe you didn't know before that. And it's critical to your life and to my life. So throughout this series, we're going to talk about some of the, the, the kind of logistics of, of where the Bible even came from and people that just, oh, it's just some old book or whatever. There's some pretty amazing stories of, of it coming together. We're going to talk about some of the themes and, and, and portions of Scripture, sec- sections or segments of Scripture. You hear words that maybe you've never heard, the Pentateuch. What is that weird word? The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and, and, and why it matters. Like I said, some of the historical books, Chronicles, Samuel, Kings, Judges, Joshua. You get into some of the poetic books. I joked about Song of Solomon, but it's one of them. Proverbs is incredible. Psalms, all kinds of stories of of man bearing their heart to God, mankind bearing their heart to God about circumstances. You get to Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and all these kind of prophetic books, and we go, I don't have a clue. But little by little, when we talk about it, some of the pieces come together. Most of it fits historically in what was going on in Israel and in Judah back in the day from Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. You get to Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and you have individuals that were writing about Jesus and his life. And we get the Christmas story and the birth and the manger, but you also get that he grew up and he taught crowds and he performed miracles. And he began to reveal that he's the Messiah that they were waiting for but not just Israel was waiting for, the whole world needed. And then his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascending to heaven, sending the Holy Spirit. And then we get to the book of Acts, the activity of the first century church. You get John and Peter, and they wrote some of what you have later on in the New Testament. You get Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, but then became a Christian and began to travel all over, planting churches and teaching and cared deeply for the church and wrote a book we call Philippians, wrote what we call Colossians, Romans, Corinthians. They were letters to the church he cared deeply for. Like I said, you got Peter and John, you got James, you got the writer of Hebrews, and then you get Revelation. Don't ever start in Revelation if you're reading the Bible. Don't start there. (laughs) Let me give you the, the quickest paraphrase I could ever give you of Revelation. In the end, God wins. But there's so much more to it, right? You're like, what is that? Anyway, and we're going to actually, in, in, in the, this year, we're going to take a, a chunk of time to do a series. We're going to talk about some of Revelation. It's going to be great. But um, we want to put the pieces together and, and, and help. My hope and my prayer is it stirs a hunger in us. Here's how I want to end today. I want to challenge everyone in the room to make a commitment. This week, I want you to put to memory Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Just put it to memory. It doesn't, you go, oh, I got it memorized now. You just said it. No, I want you to like write it down. Put it in your notes in your phone. Put it different places where you can read it throughout the day multiple different times. And then stop at certain points to really consider it. Do I really believe that as I take in scripture, he's going to enlighten my path? He's going to reveal certain things about the direction that he's calling me to go. Everybody repeat after me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. Write it down and put it to memory. And as we continue throughout this series, 
like I said, my hope is, is something begins to stir in you as you crave that truth, as you crave what God designed for you. Because like I said, I'm telling you, that's where we find the deeper things. That's where we find that fulfillment, that sense of purpose, that living for something beyond ourselves. And it's a beautiful picture as we continue through this series. God, I pray today that you would do a work in us that, that begins to stir a hunger for your word. And it's not that every day we read it and it's so profound and enlightening. It, it, it's, it doesn't always work that way, but I do believe through that work of your Holy Spirit as we take in scripture that you enlighten all kinds of things, that you convict and, and challenge and, and, and open our hearts and, and grow us to become what you've designed, but you've given us a gift we call it scripture. We say it's the Bible. We have no idea sometimes where it even came from or we're skeptical even about it. And sometimes for a good reason. But God, I pray throughout this series as we commit to Sunday after Sunday learning and growing that you would continue to shape us the way that you've designed. That we don't waste our time simply pursuing pleasure or being happy, simply thinking that knowledge will get us where we need to be or certain philosophies fulfill this need or that need. But that God, we lean into who you are and what you've designed for us through scripture that helps us become what you've designed us to become because you created each of us, you know each of us, and you love each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.